0: Spin Cycle, the media show that tries to make sense of the chaos that is our 24-hour news cycle broadcasting from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, lands for which sovereignty has never been ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Tonight on Spin Cycle, we are looking at the media and the referendum. It will be part expository and part therapy I hope you're all <laughs> happy to come along for an hour and, you know, have something to hug and a nice warming beverage. I'm Jess Lily. I'm joined by a studio of riches this evening uh, for this conversation, Crikey's Charlie Lewis, contributing editor of the monthly Rachel Withers, and with a bit of uh, cross-pollination, Daniel James, who regular listeners will very much know from the fantastic m- The Mission on seven pm at seven pm, I should say, every Tuesday on Triple R, but also has a weekly column in the monthly, and pops up everywhere. A veritable man about town. What like a pest! <laughs> <laughs> We've seen him on breakfast uh, news, TV re- recently on ABC Radio, um, an amazing um, episode of seven a the seven am podcast recently. Uh, so you know, look him up.
1: It's hard to miss me. Really, it really is at the moment. I, I'm actually, you know, I, I scroll, I um, scroll through socials, and I'll come across someone that bloke looks familiar, and it's me. <laughs> it's, it's it's um, I've got i I've got to pull back. I've got to pull back. No more.
0: We want more Daniel James everywhere. Um, uh, just uh, a little housekeeping if you missed last week's uh, or no, last week's two weeks ago radiothon now or you've been sort of dragging your feet about paying up, please do keep subscribing. You will still be in the running for all of the prizes, the prize draw up until I think uh, October fourth. October fourth. Um, so uh, go online rrr.org.au and uh, get amongst it. We're going to talk to Carla Grant about her um, SBS Dateline program, which is airing next Tuesday, called the Sami Voice, and it looks at a First Nations voice to Parliament in Norway to look at um, what a what a sort of successful voice to Parliament might look like. After that, we will be um, we will be really getting into um, the the kind of media coverage of the referendum thus far. But let's start on a really positive note because today Michael Long, I think uh, I heard him on The Breakfasters a few weeks ago and it was just such a beautiful conversation. Um, He arrives in Canberra.
1: 19 years after he first did the the Long Walk where um, he marched to meet with Prime Minister John Howard to talk about the Closing the Gap campaign and the the gaps that are between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people amongst a whole range of uh, indicators, uh, education, health attainment, attainment, um, life expectancy. Uh, He has been spurred into doing the same thing again, up and down, well, mainly up the Hume Corridor, uh, visiting communities along the way Uh, thousands of people to try and rally support for the yes vote for the voice to parliament. And today he arrived in Canberra with a whole bunch of supporters that were there with him the whole way with a message of love.
0: And, I mean, what's phenomenal about this walk is the fact that the gap hasn't closed? In nothing, time. No, nothing,
1: n- nothing amazingly has changed in that time. Uh, Indigenous people are still, probably more so now, the most incarcerated people on the planet. Um, health expectancy, the gap has narrowed it slightly, but no, by no means um, enough. Uh, we have reports in places like here in Victoria where um, Indigenous people uh, were racially... Profiled and other minorities were racially profiled. Um, we have, I think, it's something like seventy-five um, percent of people in prison, um, and particularly Indigenous people in prison, who are there with an acquired brain injury. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are these are things that are still going on. It spurred him to to, to reenact the same walk this time. Um, he wasn't greeted with awkwardness, he was greeted with open arms.
2: Yeah, and I think he was really eager to, you know, make that comparison to the 2004 walk. Um, There was a letter that he and a few other leaders had written to the Prime Minister today that was published in The Guardian and it's it's worth going and reading. Um, and if you see some of the footage uh, floating around, he's, he's reading the words from the letter, but he contrasted it directly to the words he, he put to then Prime Minister John Howard in 2004, yeah. you know, asking where is the love? Um, and this time he was asking Anthony Albanese to maintain the love, um, even in the face of kind of a, a pretty... Um, a pretty negative week, I think we could safely mm. say. Playing
1: yeah. playing on the, the the call by John mm. Howard to maintain the rage against The Voice.
0: It's, I mean, it, even when he spoke um, in Triple a couple of weeks ago, he said something really beautiful. He just said, you know, at one point he said, I think people have forgotten how to care. Mm. And it was such a profound kind of you know, delivered in a very n- n- unassuming way. But it just summed up so much of about about what, what I think we're experiencing at the moment.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, this morning was, was such an uplifting moment to watch. I mean, I, I don't know how much but it made the nightly news in the end, but... You know, you we'll saw... that later. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you saw different... Um, you saw politicians from different parties coming together. You know, it, it, I always get kind of emotional when I see images that have different
1: mm. politicians
2: from different parties standing together. And um, we got it a few weeks ago with the launch. We had, you know, like Malcolm Turnbull mm. handing out with Tanya Plibersek and mm. a an bat handing out with Bill Shorten. And today you could see there were teals, there were Greens, there were some Liberals, um, Anthony Albanese... Um, invited sort of he he was walking with Michael long and he invited Julian Lisa and bridget archer the the mm. two kind of most outspoken liberal MPs who are liberals for yes um to to finish the walk with them mm.
0: that's uh, yeah I mean that is true unity. Really. Um, it's what, what could have been. Well, what might
3: have been, yeah.
0: Let's just sort of set the scene for what we're going to chat about afterwards. <laughs> yeah, How this much. Is all the positive you get in focus. How much of this. I mean, this was obviously something that was heavily. Um, this was very prepared. Everyone knew that this was going to happen today. This was supposed to be another very positive moment in this campaign. However. However, well. A you few know, blocks away. Yeah. So what. Made the news rather than, or the, made the the, the the headline above the fold rather than Michael walks Michael Long's long walk arriving in
1: Canberra. The headline, um, if I go to the Age and just open any, up any, now, he- or any any news any news website any news Every website single one the one on the Age as we speak here at uh, thirty odd days out from the referendum itself. Uh, the headline leading the Age is: Colonialism has been good for Indigenous Australians. Price. Mm. For those that don't know, that um, Jacinta Price um, presented at the National Press Club this afternoon. Um, as the Press Club is allowing, um, rightly so, all sides of the debate to present their cases before the before the um, the, the Press Club and, and, and the nation's present. Last week was Marcia, Marcia Langton. Last week was Marcia Langton. Um, Lydia Thorpe was before that as yep. well, um, mm. and uh, despite. The heroic effort, in my opinion, by Michael Long and his supporters to walk from Melbourne to Canberra to garner support for The Voice and to feed into a positive atmosphere around The Voice. Um, The headline across every news website as we sit here this evening Mm. is around colonialism has been good for Indigenous Australians. That's part of the strategy, and that's what we'll talk about after we've spoken with Carla. (laughs) Woo! That's right, triple R.
0: Carla Grant is a presenter, producer and journalist and proud Arente woman with an extensive media career that spans over 30 years. Her program, Living Black, is Australia's longest-running Indigenous current affairs television program, which has itself been running for over 20 years. In the lead-up to the referendum, Carla has headed overseas for Dateline on SBS to see what a successful voice to parliament might look like. Uh, Sami First Nations people, sorry, the Sami Voice will be airing next Tuesday on SBS Dateline and looks at the first Sami First Nations people in Norway. Welcome to Spin Cycle Colour. Thank you so much, Jess. It's wonderful to talk to you. The Sami Voice is a fascinating look at what a First Nations parliament could look like, really. It's an addendum to the Norway parliament. Can you tell us uh, how the Sami voice came about and, and and how it is kind of structured?
4: Yes, sure. Well, the Sami parliament had its beginnings when there was a proposal to construct a, a hydroelectric power dam on Sami lands. Um, and so there was really a lot of strong opposition to the dam. And, you know, at that time it brought together some right. Defenders, environmentalists, and others who were opposed to this dam, and um, there were, you know, protests and hunger strikes, and it was really, you know, very controversial at the time. So uh, the Norwegian government realised that they needed to have a a Sami democratically elected body so that they could consult one central body to try and, you know, resolve these sort of political issues that was happening at the time. And so the Sami parliament was established uh, via legislation in 1987. So, you know, it was an act of parliament, uh, the Sami Act 1987, and um, it, then began its official business in 1989. It's not an enshrined um, body like um, the proposal that we have here in Australia. It was um, set up via legislation. And so, um, in short, yeah, the Sami parliament is made up of 39 elected representatives from seven constituencies across Norway. And... um, they're all voted in by uh, people who have proven their Sami heritage. And uh, they also have a president as well.
3: Carla, it's Charlie here. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, congratulations on the documentary. It's really, really uh, fascinating. One thing that I was really interested to to sort of ask you about was, as as far as you could sort of tell in your looking into this, Did the USAMI voice become um, like a lightning rod of controversy in the same way that, say, the voice has in Australia? And did it kind of attract some of the same slightly questionable claims about what it would actually achieve?
4: Yeah, look, I think, you know, there was a lot of debate and discussion over this. Um, Yeah, you know, there uh, there was opposition to it and, you know, there was debate and discussion about whether it should be set up um you know whether you know what sort of role it would have you know how how it would work all those sorts of questions came into play and um, you know and how it would sort of work with other organizations army other army um, interest groups as well so um you know I said there was a lot of debate and discussion around it as to whether it should be set up but um, the the feeling that I got from the people who I spoke to um, in, you know, doing this story, there seemed to be uh, the majority for it and it seemed like um, it was going to be a very good thing, a very positive thing for the Sami people and their community. So it went ahead.
1: Carla, Daniel James here. Um, Good to speak with you again. Um, Thank you for all the work that you do. You're you're amazing. Um, Thank you. uh, While you were over there, how much... I mean, the, the Sami voice. How much, and it's probably difficult to gauge from a from a you know a, what would be a relatively short trip. But how much did the, the Sami voice kind of enter into the the local consciousness of the place in terms of um, the way that people spoke about it? Um, was it something that people uh, referred to often? Was it something that people, um, you know. Uh, Wanted or resented? Is it, or was it just um, a matter of fact part of everyday life that people just accept?
4: Um, well, look, you know, the, the Sami people—they, you know, for centuries they were, you know, a persecuted people, group of people. They, um, you know, um, for centuries, yeah, they—they they weren't able to speak language, they weren't able to practice their culture, they couldn't even wear their traditional dress. Um they were really looked down upon, they were really treated badly. and you know the Sami people uh, at that time, they a lot of them didn't even want to be Sami. they wouldn't want to yeah. they didn't want to claim their heritage because of the the poor treatment that they received. So you know I think you know fast forward you know years and years later, uh, I, that you know it's, times have definitely changed drastically um, you know the the Sami people are are accepted they are um, they are officially recognized as the indigenous people of north um, they are you know Sami is the official second language of um, Norway so you know when you look at the place that they held within society you know thousands of years ago uh, now to you know to this point You know, to this day, it's, you know, um, they've come a long way and, and, you know, they're really accepted. And and, and also for the Sami people, they feel proud of themselves and and really, um, you know, have a sense of pride. And I went to this festival called the Ridu Ridu Festival um, in the far north of um, uh, Norway. And it was just amazing to be there because you could see, you know, they, you know, see Uh, sense of pride that they had in themselves and, um, you know, to be able to speak their language and practice their culture and there were people walking around in their Sami traditional, you know, dress. And it's also become a place where other First Nations people go to as well and it's very much like our Gama festival in Mm. in Annam, where, you know, people go to, it's a cultural festival but it's also a place where they go to talk about politics.
1: So I'll just, I'll just pick so up on one thing there, Carlo. Everywhere in Norway is far north, but
4: but with that,
1: you, you, what, you, what you're saying is the Sami people felt a part of their own country for the first time.
4: Exactly, and yeah, were able to feel pride years. in that. Exactly, yeah. For years and years, you know, for thousands of years, they, you know, they were just treated so poorly, and. Um, you know, suffered the impacts of colonization as well. So, yeah, it, there was a term
0: um, in the documentary film that was used, and it was called Norwegianization. a yes, hundred years that, of Norwegianization, mm, which was an yes. attempt to erase Sami culture.
4: Mm, and that that here is, you know, what's happened here in in this in our country as well. That you know, we've had so many policies and uh, assimilation is very much. Uh, uh, you know, similar to Norwegianisation, where you know they tried to uh, wipe out the Sami race, and it was the same here. They tried to, you know, um, wipe out the Aboriginal race, mm. and um, you know by trying to assimilate people into white society. And and um, yeah, so there are a lot of similarities between us and the Sami people.
3: And I suppose one of the one of the elements that. I'd like to look at a bit some of the the uh, I guess the concrete kind of outcomes of that. I mean, one of the things that you relook really at in the in the um, in the Dateline episode is the kind of preservation of the Sami language. Um, is that something that you yeah. feel was sort of basically facilitated by a, a Sami voice?
4: Yes, yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, very much. Uh, you know, part of the the huge success of this parliament uh, is. Uh, is you know the the big work that they've done in terms of um, revitalization of Sami language and culture. They've done a lot of work in that area. The Sami language was uh, dying out, and so they um, you know have been funding projects where um, you know and programs where people can uh, learn the language. And in fact, I went to kindergarten and where a, a Sami kindergarten teacher was, you know, teaching kids the Sami language and he was actually a former bodybuilder and security guard.
3: <laughs> very burly lad.
1: He, yeah.
0: <laughs> he was he was very packed, I must say, you know yeah. it was a little bit kindergarten cop. Um, <laughs> that was, yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> but Maddie was this the guy, the, the Sami kindergarten teacher. He was just um the, uh, was his daughter was going to that kindy, and he felt really sad that you know he didn't see any um, you know Sami kindergarten teachers you know, you know teaching the language, and so that prompted him to sort of rethink life, and and he decided to retrain thanks to an initiative uh, that was you know um, you know a grant from the Sami Parliament, and um, he retrained to become a Kindergarten teacher and and now teaches his own daughter the Sami language and and ten other kids there at that kindy, and you know for him um, it was just wonderful to see you know him speaking to his daughter and then we went back to his place and met his wife who's Norwegian and she was just adamant that the kids grow up with Sami values and that they learn their language and they know who they are and they have a strong sense of identity so it's it's really really important. To, you know, to reclaim their language and, and their culture and, and be proud of that.
1: So the Sami voice is not a tumor. Um, <laughs> but before we let you go, um, Carla, um, you may have noticed there's a bit of a debate at the moment happening here in Australia around um, a thing that we're yes, calling just the voice. Just, um, my just question, my question for you is, as a fellow Indigenous person, is how are you holding up?
4: Yeah, look it's 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 a, it's a lot it's a lot to you know every day you wake up to it and it's just non-stop it's all consuming and so um, you know yeah I like I work at niTV as well the indigenous um, channel um, and you know my fellow colleagues there you know it's it's a heavy weight on them and you know to be reporting on this day in and day out and and, you know, to see the misinformation that's out and, you know, other sections of the media who are um, adding fuel to the fire in terms of, you know, we've seen this rise in racism, which is just really, you know, off to see and um, to hear every day. Um, so, it, yeah, it sort of weighs heavily. And, and I think I'll be glad when this referendum is over, actually. Mm. Um well, yeah, make sure you look
1: after yourself in the meantime. I mean, being in a news centre like, in you know, TV and SBS, you see it coming in thick and fast, and I'm sure that's an added burden.
4: Yeah, yeah. As I said, it's, you know, it's, I wake up to it every day and constantly, you know, reporting on it, and, and it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's quite hard. But, um, you know, let's hope that whatever happens is going to be a positive outcome for our people.
0: Carla, thank you so much for joining us this evening and thank you for putting um, a beautiful little moment of um, you know, it's kind of interesting to see another country with a similar kind of process and a similar, you know, obviously very different experience but um, thank you for, for showing us that other that putting shining a lens on another country's voice. There There was a person at that festival you talked about at the end of that film who said something really interesting and you asked them if they had any advice for people voting in the Voice Referendum in Australia and they said, it's an interesting situation. The majority of people get to decide how Indigenous people are represented. There's something mm. very unfair about that.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, poignant words. Um, yeah. Was, so... was
0: that a general reaction that people had to the, to the voice here or the way that we're managing the process?
4: Uh, yeah, actually, the, the, the Sami president as well thought that um, she was very interested in the process here and what's happening with the referendum. And she also said to me that it, she found it quite strange that the majority of, of the people um, are actually making a decision on whether we should have our own voice to parliament. So it was a, it was a concept that they yeah, found quite yeah, mm-hmm. difficult to understand, but, yeah, that's the process that we have to go through in this country and, and um, yeah, let's just see what happens on um, Saturday the 14th of October. <laughs>
0: and I'm sure you'll be celebrating on Sunday the 15th of October. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you,
1: Carla.
4: Thank you so much, Carla. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye.
0: We've been talking to Carla Grant and you can watch that program on Dateline, The Sami Voice, on Tuesday on SBS.
3: Melbourne's own Drupal
4: R.
2: So just before we spoke to Carla, we were having a a bit of a chat about um, I suppose the thing that is dominating most news websites at the moment, which is Jacinta Price's comments to the press gallery today saying that there was uh, no negative impacts of uh, colonisation on Indigenous Australians. In fact, there were um, positive impacts. Um, and I, I was just sharing a tweet um, off air with with the others here. Um, somebody replied to me sharing some of these comments on Twitter. One of my relatives was a convict. He was given a farm and had a high school <laughs> named after him. And sorry, this was in re- response to um, Jacinta Price suggesting that um, if intergenerational trauma is real, then the descendants of convicts must also have intergenerational trauma.
0: Well, it
1: seems to me that uh, that argument is, you know, Python-esque in a way. (laughs) It's like, you know, what what has the colony ever done for us? Um, But I think there's a a very clear distinction that we need to make in terms of the trauma suffered by um, convicts, the undoubtable trauma suffered by um, convicts. Ninety nine percent, I assume, um, were sent here for stealing a loaf of bread. That's the story I've uh, learned through <laughs> history.
3: That's that's what every like Australian uh, settler person who yeah. has convict ancestry tells oh, no, you. Stole a like, loaf of bread. I'll <laughs> live of bread to feed their family. No, there's yeah. no there were no mergers. All Robin Hood. In- yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> um, well, you know, if you want to use sort of Python esque type comparisons, and it seems to me that. At the end of the conflict experiment here in um, what is now known as, as Australia, convicts got huge tracts of land mm. and Aboriginal people got the curtains.
0: Mm. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think also – I mean, what the other thing that we've kind of been talking about is is the <clears> – <throat> The sense that the no campaign, and 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 um, as we've all kind of acknowledged, there's no point denying the fact that the support for a yes vote has plummeted uh, through the floor, through the floor in the, uh, the over it's the course trailing of the year, Australia in every state now, every single year. Uh, oh, except except, except Tazzy. Tazzy. Still up. is Tasmanian. I thought the
2: Guardian polling today. Anyway. Oh, I mean, maybe God. It, maybe. maybe. To, it does get worse um, every single time we get a new poll. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah,
3: and there is that sort of sense that the no campaign kind of has the cheat codes because they can just drop one of these bombs and dutifully the mainstream media will go and report that and in some cases replace a story like Michael Long's walk to Canberra yeah. or, or any any kind of positive news that the Yes campaign can deliver.
2: I mean, to be honest, this morning, even before Just enterprise's bomb dropped at the National Press Club, I was still very angry from yesterday's bombs mm-hmm. um, and I was, you know... Trying to decide what to write about today, and and sort of talking to my editor this morning about you know we've got this Michael Long thing, but then what Susan Lee do, is doing this morning in terms of um, mm. some of the other stuff that's enrolling on this week is just so outrageous, and it's it it is hard to focus on the positive mm. when you are the media. Um, it is hard to choose the positive story, um, but you know if if the Yes campaign is going to be about positivity. The media is going to have to start covering some of the more positive moments. Yeah,
3: and I think the, the other thing that really struck me in the debate this week—I'm I'm sure our listeners will be familiar, reasonably familiar with what's been happening to Marcia Langton, one of the kind of most prominent Yes campaigners. Why don't
0: you give us a quick well, rundown? I, no, I think they might not. I mean, I think it's important. <laughs> I'm, I'm to... happy to give
1: a rundown yeah. if you, yeah, if absolutely. you want. So, Marcy Langton is one of the most prominent campaigners for The Voice. Uh, she's one of the people, along with Tom Karma, that set up the, uh, the, 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 the plan and the infrastructure that, around what The Voice will actually look like. So she is a passionate individual, always has been. She was recorded in Western Australia maybe one or two weeks ago, um, basically calling the Conservative No campaign for what it is, and that was um, dumb and racist, Words to that effect that were aimed directly at the campaign, not at people who are thinking of voting no or will be voting no.
2: Specifically at the arguments. Is she sort of said so when, yeah. you, when you pull the arguments apart, they're either dumb or racist.
1: So that was taken by the Australian and proponents of the uh, no campaign, conservative no campaign, as her calling people who will vote for the no um, campaign as dumb and racist. It's
0: the deplorables. It's the It's the, the Hillary Clinton look, yeah, deplorable yeah, moment. That's what they're going they were
1: for. To it's stick. even
3: more of a stretch yeah. than the deplorables.
1: Yeah. In she ways, literally,
3: yeah. said, she that. literally <laughs> <Yeah>. said that. She
1: literally said that. Whereas and Marsha
2: Langton didn't did say actually anything. say that the voters were racist mm-hmm. or dumb.
1: And so yeah. we're at a point now where those of us who are concerned about the, the, the level of decorum during the debate around the referendum, um, the... the, the, the The verdict's in, the jury's in. Um, It's pretty much our worst nightmare in terms Mm. of the way that we want Mm. to construct the conversation Mm. in this country. And so here, probably, what, are we 31 days out? Yeah. Uh, We're at a point now where there is a greater pile on for someone calling out Racism, yeah. Than there is for anyone that can be racism. racism. That's yeah. where we are. Thirty-one days out.
0: This is this is something that ha- is a very American phenomenon that has arrived here now. With this, it's more offensive apparently to call someone racist than it is to be racist. I
3: mean, I don't think this has just arrived. I've, I've been mm. thinking. I've been looking back at a lot of old debates of this sort, and when. Pauline Hanson first became a national phenomenon mm. when she uh, became the member for Oxley back in '96. I think it was. It was. Uh, the The response from from John Howard was, I mean, there was a lot of like, uh, I mean, so Greg Sheridan, for example, one of the one of the biggest writers for the Australian, wrote very beautifully and very forcefully about what a terrible development this kind of sentiment was for Australian politics. Uh, how times have changed. <laughs> Greg, um, your, your ass used to be beautiful. <laughs> Perfect, perfect illusion. <laughs> um, but but John Howard's response was, "I'm glad we can finally talk about this stuff without being called racist." He, uh, I mean, and yeah. that was that was a combination of factors that made him say that. One was a political calculation; he didn't want to lose the voters that would have gone to Hanson, but also partly it wasn't. She was a Trojan horse for his policies. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't and his beliefs. R- yeah,
2: I mean, what is so shocking about the fact that Marcia Linton has been? Absolutely piled on by the media for this comment, and also they've started going through other old recordings of her speaking at different events, or old, old or tweets, old,
3: old tweets, old Facebook um, posts. Yeah,
2: yeah, is that is that she is calling out something that is so prevalent right now? You know, it's so if, obvious. If if you spend even five seconds on Twitter, you know, I. I sometimes reply to these trolls, like, where's Marshall Langton getting the idea that people are racist when they <laughs> yeah, reply yeah, with, like, yeah, yeah. the most obscene things? Mm. And I'm, I'm not even an Indigenous Australian, so I can barely relate. But it's, you know, but I are think... you Jewish, Rachel?
0: Yeah. Like, it's just yeah, it I has brought that. out mm. the worst people. It's and, one and thing, for... though, for it to be Twitter trolls. It's another thing for it to be our media.
3: And the leader <gasps> of the yes,
2: opposition.
1: Yes.
0: And the leader of the – yes. But,
2: and, and, and then even with all that going on, to – for it not to be okay to even acknowledge racism.
1: Mm. And so the, the, the funeral all carried on for, you know, probably 18 hours or so. And Marcia Langton hit the airway. She hit um, mm. um, R.N. Breakfast with mm. uh, Patrícia Gavallis. She hit um, Melbourne Morning Radio with Virginia Trioli, in which she stated her case and also threatened legal action if there were corrections of the record, both from Peter Dutton and his Instagram account, and from the australian Yes, of course. Yeah. This
0: is another thing is that um, with the social, social media's involvement in this was that, that it was called out as misinformation and untrue, a complete fallacy. And it stayed up. The post stayed up. Well, what for was the response from the Australian,
1: Australia's, uh, the Australian editor, Rachel?
2: Oh, well, I mean, it, it, the story was quite quickly changed online. That was the headline that was the most misleading. If you actually read the piece, it was slightly mm. less misleading. But the headline was changed. Uh, the piece was changed, and it's now both have been updated three times: the headline and the mm. text. Um, and the Guardian reached out to the Australian editor for comment, and they just said, "I stand by our reporting." Mm. Um, and meanwhile, you've got Peter Dutton having turned the original headline into a, a social media a post, meme. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, it said voters, no, no voters, voters, branded racist, racist and stupid. stupid. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, now it's it's spread onto social media. It's spread across to other news corp sites. It's spread to breakfast television where people are asked to respond to These comments from Marcia
0: Langton and they continue to be misconstrued. The, there's a headline in the Financial Review today. The conspiracy theories are derailing the yes vote, and it's a really interesting article. Um, and it quotes um, Tyson Yunker an academic who is a deacon, I believe, yep.
4: um,
0: who who is uh, a, um, a researcher in in conspiracy, conspiracy theories and misinformation. And it's basically saying it's winning. The misinformation yeah. is winning. Our media is not responding.
3: Well, there's there's a, there's a there's a few things I think that kind of come up here one is just the like desecration of the conservative movement in this country the idea that like the leader of a conservative party who are supposed to be the people who preserve and maintain the institutions that make a country work they will then come out and say that the process is rigged because the AEC are not Mm. doing what I would like them to do that, that should be more shocking than it actually ended up being. We kind of were annoyed about that for a second, and then mm. we move on to the next outrage. That was the most Trumpist
4: yeah, thing. That was the mind. most
3: explicitly Trumpian thing he'd yeah. done, yeah. And the other thing I think is that, that good faith actors in mainstream media are trapped by certain rules of trying to portray themselves as objective. So, David Crow, the chief political correspondent for the Nine Papers, who I'm not at all having a go at, he did the right thing. He can, he could announce on Twitter. I've listened to the recording of Marcy Langton's speech. She did not say what the Australian he is came alleged. out and
2: said that very quickly. He, he very,
3: did that very quickly, and that was and and good for him for doing that. But then the piece that he writes in 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 response to this is not. The headline ought to have been: Marshall Langton didn't say that." The headline was: Marshall Langton denies saying that." Wow. And the the idea of well, we went to comment. I can't possibly put my own view into this piece. Mm. Is is problematic in this case when the when one team is not playing by those but, rules?
2: And I mean, it implies she still said it. And yeah, so yeah. many people were calling out these headlines on. Oh, sorry, I'm um, on. Uh no, nah. Never when, say, say same sorry morning. on radio.
1: <laughs> um, so there are three tiers to the campaign, but before I get to that, uh, I, I just see popping up in um, this dilapidated um, <laughs> a laptop in front of me, um, uh, The Age has published a, an opinion piece um, from, <laughs> We're from <already> like... <laughs> Michael Yabsley about why the voice referendum should be cancelled. <sighs>
4: um,
1: mm-hmm. The writs have been written. It's not going to be cancelled. What Mm. is the point of publishing uh, an opinion piece like that? Mm. But that's besides the point, right? Uh, There are three levels to... uh, Three tiers to the Conservative No campaign. One is through the the call centres in which they've identified soft voters. I have no idea how they would have identified those soft voters. I'm guessing it's a data scrape from Facebook, Twitter, um, my uncle's Instagram account, perhaps. Um, Secondly... There are the grenades that are thrown day in, day out by the Conservative No leadership, which are designed purely to hijack the headlines and the news cycle Mm -hmm. of the day. Probably the most prominent of all, of course, was this notion that there is going to be a second referendum if this one goes down. Mm -hmm. The third element of the Conservative No strategy is the racist, vitriolic trolling of, yes, proponents and First Nations people online and the fact that that has become so prolific, so ingrained into the national conversation now that that is affecting people in the real world wherever we go.
2: And, I mean, all of this is coming after Marcia Langton delivered her own very, very powerful speech to the press club last week, calling it out and talking about the harm this was doing and and asking the media specifically to lift their game and to not participate in pylons. And you could hear her voice breaking as she said this. Um, And then not a week later, we get a pylon from, I would say, three quarters of the media specifically on to Price over something, sorry, (laughs) to Marshall Langton over something she did not say. Um, Mm -hmm. And so yeah, it almost felt like a punishment for, for telling the media what to do. Well,
0: all, all three of those um, aspects of the No campaign that you just mentioned, Daniel, are played out in the media as they
4: well.
1: Are. It's they are. They feed into the mainstream media. So
0: it's almost like the No campaign have absolutely got their priority media people who they feed their narratives to and they are swimming out.
2: Well, I mean, I, I would say that, that was that is exactly what happened with the Marcia Langton story on Tuesday. It dropped. We started Tuesday with a story in the nine papers that made the No campaign look terrible, revealing that... um that the No Campaign was training its volunteers to lie and, and mis- to and incite and identify fear identify them, and yeah, and to not identify themselves as No Campaigners. Mm. And that, to me, was the story of the day. And then just before Question Time, this story drops in The Australian with its horribly misleading headline about Marcia Langton, mm. and that is the first question in Question Time. And it's like Susan Lee has been worded up yep. and mm. she's, asking, you know, she's asking the government to condemn it. Um, and then that became the story of the the news bulletins that night you know even even channel nine news their own stablemates at the city money herald it's all owned by nine um were reporting what i thought was the scoop of the day and yet their reporting was led by this what did marcia yeah yeah i mean I think there's
3: this there's, there's two there's two speeches that are the two scripts sorry that are being followed in this process one is is um, how the Australian reports on its ideological opponents, shall we say? I think if you could look back at how Gillian Triggs, the former mm. um, Human Rights Commissioner, was was reported on, Tim Flannery, um, Robert Mann, Julian Disney, the, the, the list goes on. This is the script that they follow. You can you can confect days of coverage, days mm. of very prominent coverage about someone. Oh, um, Yasmin Abdul Majid. Yeah. Um, yep. it, it doesn't even have to be. I remember at one stage she promoted some sunglasses on Instagram. And that was like a page story because it's just letting you know we're still watching you. We're still mm. maintaining this kind of surveillance. But it's also the, um, the 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 no campaigns for every major question that's been put to Australia in the last 20 years.
0: But the other thing the media is doing that is very insidious as well, and we saw it with, um, you know, we've seen Dutton's been doing some chummy interview radio interviews where he discredits you know at the launch um there were some very personal stories at the launch of the yes campaign that came out and then Dutton's on a radio interview just sort of saying oh you know there was this person who said this and how is this possible and just discrediting the stories and discrediting the narrative in in hmm. in these radio interviews and i i just i just feel like you know There are certain parts of the media that are opening the doors and opening the gates for this, whereas... You know, there are other parts of the media, as we know from even interviews that we've organised with journalists from SBS and the ABC, where we've been told that they absolutely will not be able to share their own personal views on on the, on the the referendum because they are presenting, you know, the facts and the information and leaving yeah. voters to make up their own minds. And it feels like... There is just a very lopsided a narrative way, but... yeah, going yeah, out. Yeah. Oh yeah, There are two sets of rules. Yeah. You know, you you
2: you do have right-wing and left-wing media in this country, but, um, you know, the ABC, which gets accused of being left-wing, is expected to sit, you know, very close to objectivity, to report in a certain way. The Guardian also, I would say, you know, is the more left-leaning major publication, but... Mm-hmm tries to stick by, you know, certain reporting standards. Even they ran with the sort of Marsha Langton denies calling voters racist. Um, and yet then you've got the Australian. Well, you've got all of News Corp actually well, out Garden there.
0: Well, the also had Jacinta's comments on... Because it's, yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's a it's I mean, it's of, of scandalising. Yeah.
2: Um, but, you know... The Australian, meanwhile, and news, the Sky News, the Herald Sun, you know, the Daily Mail, they don't feel the need to play by any kind of rules. In fact, I was i was on a... Just to um,
3: clarify, Daily Mail is not a Murdoch publication no, sorry. in this country. News.com.au, like, we'll, we'll, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: um, but, you know, you do have these outlets that are willing to just publish anything, to push any agenda. Um, and I was actually sitting in on a um, webinar last night from Australians for a Murdoch Royal Commission um, looking at... a an academic study of News Corp's coverage of this campaign and it has been heavily, heavily skewed towards the no side and it's not because of um, how much time they give to each side. In terms of reporting, in terms of actual space given to the words by the yes and no campaign, it's about equal, although... They mostly quote Albanese when it comes to yes and not any of the Indigenous leaders. But it's completely outweighed by how much time they spend on commentary and their Peter Credlins mm. and their um, Andrew Bolt and just how hard they go against the voice all day long.
1: I mean, what this all highlights is the fact that uh, outrage sells. Mm. And we have, you know, all the successful commercial talkback radio stations in in Australia the ones that stoke the outrage whether it be um, you know a dodgy mechanic or a constitutional change there is outrage to to be had but the alarming thing amongst all of this that is fly, flying about at the moment all the grenades that are being flying, all the headlines that are are being printed is that there seems to be an underlying probably definitely more menacing i guess narrative that is developing and it's come from people like tony abbott who called Mm. intergenerational trauma a uh, neo-marxist conspiracy it was something that was rabbited today by jacinta price saying that um, intergenerational trauma is not a thing for for aboriginal people because colonialism has been good for Indigenous people, if that line starts to take hold Mm. and starts to be propagated across the community, then that means it's very, very, very dangerous times for First Nations people in this country. That means that we don't have culturally specific service provision. It means that the get over over it crowd wins the cultural war. Mm. That's where it goes to. Mm. Um, The fact that we have... Um, uh, you know members of the stolen generations that uh, are dying out before they are receiving reparations people that um, uh, have had a harrowing life as a result of the state the question that black and white issues like that and I mean that in an academic sense um, are now being questioned and now being raised as part of this debate this is not the debate by the way this is this is a side to the, the mm. binary question we're being asked, shows you how dark and deep mm. this yeah. debate is going and we're still 31 days out mm. from it.
0: Daniel, you... I really, I mean, I massively appreciate you coming in and talking with us tonight and I can't imagine how it feels. You wrote a piece, you know, uh, last month I think or a couple of weeks ago and and t- we're talking about it on 7am and it was just such a wonderful conversation and you talk about why you're voting and it feels to me I think this is one of the reasons why I've sort of not I felt like we can't have this conversation yet (laughs) and I'm glad that you're here to have it now because who the fuck am I (laughs) to be talking about this and I feel every time I see you know, you you have to lay out your stall. You have to say why you're voting yes. You have to lay bare your family's history and why it's meaningful, and then we, fucking, get to decide. On I just don't get it. You know, how are you feeling?
1: Well, it's it's a uh, I I think I I pined on on the mission like um at the start of this year is that the referendum is coming up, and my one fervent wishes wish is that where um spoken to and not spoken about mm. that's been blasted out of the water mm. you know we are just bystanders now in terms mm. of this in terms of having any sort of real influence mm. ar- ar- around around this and so it's a it's it's a harrowing time it's mm. a it, it's it feels like a dangerous time yeah um but you know, you've got to try and look to to the positives, but the positives at the moment are very hard to find. And and one of the things that I would say to um, the progressive no campaign, which really isn't um, a campaign in the, in the traditional sense at all, mm. because it doesn't have any financial backing, there is no sort of organisation around it in any real sense. It's it's a position mm-hmm. more than a campaign. I, I think we're at a stage now with the referendum campaign and it's a fight between yes and conservative no's is we're in a position now where it's become an existential threat in terms of what sort of country we want to be and where first nations people see themselves and where the rest of the country see first nations people in that so my my plea to progressive no's is um you know i know i know why you want to vote no the reasons are very very solid i'm sympathetic I grappled with it for a long time yeah. myself. Why would you trust this mob when they're poisoning our birth trees? You know, why would we? Why would we get into bed with these people? The question now, in a real sense, is far more existential: is mm. like, do we let the racists, the bigoted, the sexist win this argument and go on to create the Australia that they want to see, where First Nations people are not? in any way near the centre of that conversation. It's that deep. That's, that's deep and um, I fear it's going to get even deeper before we get to October 14.
2: Mm. You know, it, it's so powerful hearing you say that and I, and I wonder if we are now at a point in the campaign where it is important to call a spade a spade and, you know, I think the Marshall Langton stuff this week caused such a contra- controversy because uh, the Yes campaign has been so careful not to call the no campaign racist, um, but, you know, they are. <laughs> you, you,
1: you, at the very least, Rachel, you made a very good point. I saw on um, uh, Twitter, I think it was yesterday, um, whether the, the, the no campaign is formally racist or not, what is clearly evident is the fact that there is no denouncing of mm. the, yeah. the racist yeah. comments yeah. Yeah. that have been yeah. made as part of the argument for no.
2: Oh, no, we're not a racist country, according to Susan Lee on ABC News Breakfast mm. this morning. Triple R.
3: Um, so one of the things that really sort of struck me, uh, well, I mean, God, one of the things, it's been a bit an exhausting week, I think we can all agree, but one of the things that really stood out to me, I, I kind of went back and looked at the kind of no campaigns for A lot of the major questions that were kind of put to the country over the last couple of decades. And I think the thing that really stood out to me is, in some cases, word for word, the rhetoric is the same. Which does make you question the substance behind the arguments a little bit. And I know that this is all kind of... Oh, that's
0: interesting. Can you give an example?
3: Well, for example, if you were to open the no campaign for the Republican debate in 1999, you would hear the phrase, don't know, vote no. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Like literally, word for word, that's in there. That's recycling
2: the same catchphrase.
3: Also, don't vote for this divisive elite mm.
1: campaign. And Mm. just you know, just while we're here, um, hello to King Charles. Um, thank you for joining us this um, you visit us soon. Indeed. This is one Indeed. thing
0: I did want to just very much mention and, and, and ask your thoughts about, Daniel, is this one of the misinformation or one of the sort of media narratives that was drilled in very early from the No campaign and it was a media, you know, like military position precision mentioned it every time, was this idea of the elites.
1: Yeah well you know if the vo- if the voice doesn't get up it's not going to be the so-called elites the the people the 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 first nations people that you know 99% of them have come from um what would be described as less than perfect backgrounds to pull themselves up and become leaders uh, within the academic world, within the entertainment world, within um, uh, the arts world, within the legal world, we we have them everywhere because people are, are deadly. But if the vote doesn't get up, it's not going to be the uh, so-called elites, although there are no elites because we don't have intergenerational wealth amongst First Nations mm. people in this country. We're not convicts.
0: But why I was this the... – why, why did they <laughs> I... – why did they spread this narrative?
1: Oh, Because it's easy to play to. It's straight from the US playbook. Do you it's know? straight from the Trumpian playbook. Mm. One of the people I really want
3: to single out who put this argument for, forward, with he said, uh, this is Alexander Downer
1: in the <sighs> yeah, AFR. Or, Look at that his family's that history.
3: The Qantas uh, failed because it was as a message for the establishment. The Qantas failed because they went for woke capitalism no. and they backed the voice. This is a guy whose great-grandfather was the um, pre-Federation... <laughs> Premier of South Australia, he has about two knighthoods
1: in his background. There is no wokeism in aerodynamics or physics. <laughs>
3: <laughs> just
2: just on this elite thing, I just wanted to bring up what I thought was probably the most ridiculous story of the entire week, um, which was the front-page story of The Australian on Tuesday, kind of just before all this Marshall arts oh, stuff yeah, 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 exploded, yeah. Um, which uh, online it's titled, Cultural Elites Offer Discounts to Woo First Nations Crowds. And, you know, it was like four <laughs> words on the front page, like elites... Woo, First Nations. <laughs> um, and basically it was an exclusive about mob ticks, which I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners would know what they are, but, you know, tickets that are discounted to First Nations I'll you, people. I'll,
1: I'll tell you what's uh, been elite tonight, and that's, that's the company in this studio. Oh. Oh.
0: Daniel, yeah. um, charmer. Thank you so much for joining us this evening, Daniel. And um, oh, worries, a pleasure. Thank Patrick you. Rachel and Charlie, and we'll see you <laughs> next week.
3: And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us every week on your favorite podcast platform,
2: and you can follow us on Twitter at Nad at Lily Juice,
3: and at The Shuffle Diary.
2: You can also listen in at
0: rrr.org.au via on demand for the radio version of the show. Want to support Spin Cycle? Become a Triple R subscriber. Your subscription helps keep the station running and helps Triple R produce and create great radio and podcast content like this.